Thank you very much. I want to show you something. I dug this out of my garage. Do you recognise what this is? <laughs> it's actually, I'll put it up a little bit closer, a motor roller with a special um, aerial um, mobile phone. They used to call it the brick. Um, I guess it's old and antiquated and really only is an, an oddity to amuse people who are interested in old technology. But I must say that I fear that in taking this topic, the challenges of evangelism for the church, and incidentally for me that's like putting a monkey in a banana factory, I get excited about this. I must say uh, that I fear that secular church sees us as relevant as this. Old, antiquated, um, and in some ways viewed a little bit like an old barnacle on a pier that will eventually rot and drop off into the ocean of uselessness. And my fear is uh, the church's reaction to this is to have a fortress mentality, that to pretend we don't see the growing indifference to Jesus and to put our head in the sand uh, like an ostrich. And my fear is that we won't stand up to the bullying of those who would deliberately attempt to stamp out Christian values. Now, how do we respond to aggressive moves that would perceive Christianity as a disease of old, antiquated, relevant and dangerous Christian convictions? Now, how do we respond to this challenge as a church in terms of evangelism? Are, are we going to allow our church life to disintegrate into a place where we lick our wounds with pastoral care, massage our convictions with good Bible teaching, but in the process accidentally forget that our call as a church is not only to pastoral care, not only to good Bible heart teaching, but it is to reach the lost. This is the challenge for the church. For us as part of the church to be dismissed as antiquated, out of date, and in some cases viewed as a blight upon a society and to be driven under a log like, you know, that little creepy slaters that make darkness their home. That is not what we want, is it? And this passage from Matthew 9 helps answer this. And it gives us four challenges to answering the challenge of evangelism for the local church. Now, if you've got your Bibles, be real handy to turn to Matthew chapter 9. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 35 says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Um, and then it says, when he saw the crowds. Now, what's the, the significance of that? I think when it's, 
these verses in the end of Matthew 9 is really a summary of this epic, incredible trip that Jesus has taken with his disciples through the villages and towns and synagogues. And I think that the summary of what we're reading at the end of chapter 9 is the summary of his trip. Not that he's just looking out on a single crowd and viewing them like we've had read out so well to us, but rather a summary of what he had seen because it used the word crowd in the plural, crowds. And it's a, it's not only a, a summary of information, but even more grippingly, it is a glimpse into the beating heart of Jesus, the throbbing heart of God as he feels for the lost. And, and we presume with his disciples who witnessed these amazing changes in the lives of those he's ministered to with eye-watering miracles, amazing changes in life, that they've been with him from place to place. But I want you to notice, this is why we read chapter 10, I want you to notice that Jesus calls all his disciples together and he empowers them to go out and do just what he's been doing by himself. Jesus has been working by himself, but he wants all these disciples now to be involved in mission. And that mantra has not changed. And here is the first challenge for the church. And that is the need for a collective mindset change. They all went. It just didn't say, well, John, you've got the gift of evangelism and and oh, Thomas Hickwood at Evangelist, Hugo, go, all of the disciples went. And I think that speaks to us of the challenge that we need to recognize as a church, whether it's Monty or my church or any other church that loves Jesus, that the challenge for evangelism is a responsibility of everyone within the church. It's an all in, everyone is in mindset. If we have the heart of Jesus, and our Bible tells you and me that when we ask Jesus into our life, he indwells us, so we must have the heart of Jesus. That if we have the heart of Jesus, that mantra to the disciples applies to you and applies to me, that we're all in evangelism, not just those who we might regard as gifted within the church in evangelism. It's it's a, it's an all-in approach and that mindset is absolutely necessary if your church and my church and any other church is to grow. If we need a Jesus-driven mindset that we are not going to settle for being regarded as antiquated, old and dismissed like palm olive soap. And if you don't know what palm olive soap is, I've made my point. So we need to ask ourselves, regardless of our gifting, regardless of our age, regardless of our spiritual maturity, when was the last time we prayed and so I said, Lord, I want to speak to someone today about you. Lord, help me to live as an example to that checkout chick down there at Coles. 
help me somehow or other to let your light shine through as I speak and pay for my petrol down at the Shell service station. When was the last time my heart and your heart broke because we just longed for those people, be it our neighbour or be it the people we work with or live with or maybe even a member of our own family? When was the last time we broke? Because that is an indication to us, if we don't do this individually, then Montmorency will never be able to have the impact that we want because we are all called to evangelism. My Bible and your Bible says this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's the great commission. It's in your Bible and my, my Bible. If we are to meet the challenges of church, then it must be all in, not just a select few. Tell me, does the name Sally Robbins mean anything to you? Sally Robbins was a rower, and she rode in the Athens Olympic Games in 2004. She was in the eights. They call it the eights, and even though they call it the eights, there is still another person in the back, the coxswain, who calls out the beating, uh, the stroke making of the crew. And 400 metres from the finish, Sally Robbins collapsed backwards into the lap of her fellow rower behind her and lay in absolute exhaustion, 400 metres from the end. And the Australian team came last. She copped enormous flak. She became known as Lay Down Sally. And, and I, uh, if you remember uh, that the letter was spread across the papers because Australia being such a proud sporting nation, someone had given in. We're all in the boat. And there's no room for you if you're going to lay down. Ask yourself, have I got the passion, the desire and recognise that I'm part of this church in terms of mission and outreach? The second challenge is this. It's not only a need for a mindset change, I've hinted this already, but a heart set change. Can you see the heart of Jesus in this passage? This is an amazing passage. Have a look at the two analogies that he uses there. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the first analogy. The word um, harassed there is can also be translated flay or to lacerate. Do you remember those Roman whips with long bits of leather and bone and glass and stone in them so that when it was thrashed across the back of a person and pulled out, it would rip open their skin? Tremendously painful. And when Jesus looks on the crowd, he sees them as lacerated and flayed. And then he sees them as helpless. Barclay says it's a picture of a victim laid low with a mortal wound. 
See this knife? I got it for my 40th birthday. It's a couple of years ago, of course. <laughs> and it's nearly four, it's nearly uh, 35 years old now. Um, if I was to take this knife and plunge it into my stomach, I'd be mortally wounded. And unless someone came and did something and, and whipped me off to the, off to the hospital in an ambulance, I'd die. And when Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees them not only as flayed and lacerated, but as mortally wounded. And if someone doesn't get to them, they're going to die. And then he said, talks about them as sheep without a shepherd. And the word sheep there, I don't believe he's talking about an individual person. He's talking about crowds. He's talking about a flock of sheep that are without a shepherd, at the mercy of the elements, at the mercy of the wildebeests, at the mercy of, of the weather. And they are in danger of dying. There is a sense of urgency. This is the heart of Jesus when he looks on the lost. And then the second picture, or second analogy he uses, is of a harvest with insufficient harvesters. So what happens to a harvest when you don't have sufficient harvester? It rots. Again, it's a picture of urgency. This is about heart, not just about mind. Hey, I know I need to talk to people about Jesus. But this is about I want to be part of God's mission. I have to ask myself, does my church reflect this? And if it doesn't, you know where it starts? At fault, me. Because every church is made up of an individual who has a responsibility. To not only have a mindset for evangelism, but a passion, a heart for it. So how does that happen? It can only happen by one way, and that is this. By us individually first starting to draw near to the heart of Jesus so that we might catch the flame, might catch the fire. You know, John Wesley said, I love John Wesley. He said this, let me quote, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come miles to watch you burn. And so I ask myself, do I smell of the fire of Jesus' heart or am I cold as ashes? And if I want my heart to get a glimpse of people as Jesus does. There is no other thing that I can do but seek to draw near him. It's funny being preparing this this week, it's sort of been like pouring acid on my own heart. It's challenged me. Lord, I, I, I want to have your heart. Give me a glimpse of it. And then the third challenge that comes out, as is noticed in, in Matthew 9, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers. Well, the old King James says, laborers. And, and the third challenge for the church in terms of evangelism is to recognize that it's work. Um, what a, anyone can do what I've done so far in this talk, and that is talk. Talk about the need to have evangelism. Talk about to have a heart for evangelism. But we need to do it. 
We're workers. When we came into God's kingdom, we had to roll up our sleeves and we are going to sweat, or if you prefer the word perspire. We're employed with no holiday leave, no superannuation, no sick pay, and definitely no superannuation and no retirement. It's work. We've got to do it. The word compassion there, and it says he looked on the crowds and he had compassion. That word compassion is a fascinating word. It's a powerful, emotive word. And whenever it is used of Jesus in the Gospels, a miracle follows. You say, wait a minute, a miracle follows after this. Maybe everywhere else, but not here. Well, that's why we read chapter 10. He had compassion on the crowds. That compassion spilled over on his disciples and his disciples went out. And you remember they came back and they said, Lord, we did this, we did this. And and Jesus says, I saw Satan as a word falling from heaven. Whenever you see the word compassion, action follows. And a reflection of whether I have the heart of Jesus is whether I'm working in evangelism for Jesus. And I would urge you, either as a church or individually, if God prompts you in terms of mission to give, to talk, to relate to someone, to send a text, to phone, whatever it is. If God prompts you, do it. We are workers. And sometimes he might ask you to do that, which is illogical. And no matter how risky, risky it is, do it. And no matter how many people might wet blanket your idea, if God is prompting you, do it. And no matter how lacking in resources you are, do it. People will say it's illogical. Do you think it, do you think it would be illogical for me to take a stick and wave it over an ocean and expect it to part? Do you think it would be illogical for me to build a house on my block of land and try to get all the animals from Hillsville Sanctuary into it in the probability of an impossible flood? You think it would be illogical for me to try to walk on water? There are times when God will call you to do something in terms of mission and it will be illogical. But if he prompts you, do it. I remember uh, when I was in Bible college and uh, they thought I could speak, so they sent me down to speak at Port Melbourne City Mission. I don't know whether it's still there. And that's where a whole lot of alcoholics used to come for a, a breakfast meal. They were deadbeats around in the street. And uh, a lady used to run it called Sister Barnett. She was as white as she was high, but a more delightful lady you could not meet. So I got up and I preached the gospel. And I was a 25-year-old. Thought I'd given it all. When I finished, Sister Barnett gets up and she says, 
So the guys who were sitting there, half dead, <laughs> hung over, she says, you're going to hell. You need Jesus. And she hopped into them. And I thought, whoa. <laughs> so I didn't give it good, didn't give it well enough. But do you know, that same lady was rung up by the council on one occasion. And she was asked to come down and get one of these alcoholic street guys who'd made a humpy on a vacant block of land to try to get him out of it because the council couldn't get him out of it. So she went down there. And when she got down there, she called him out by name because she knew him. But he wouldn't move. So she got down on her hands and knees, crawled into that little humpy. There's about three to four inches of human excrement on the floor. Puts her arm around him and brings him out. The same lady who talked, you're going to hell, did it. That's the mark of a person. That's the mark of a church that understands the challenge of the need to to work, to be a labourer. And the fourth and final challenge, and this is an interesting one. Notice in verse 38, after Jesus has given this description of what's going, what's happened in his epic trip, does he say, okay, guys, now we're going to go out and do it? Almost, that's what he does in chapter 10. But in the last verse, after he's given this profound picture of God's heart for the lost, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Our King James says, pray. It's one and the same thing. And there is a real challenge for the church in terms of evangelism. Because prayer preceded the 12 going out. And when he says to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, it is prayer that motivates people to evangelism. And it makes sense. You draw near to the heart of God in prayer and he will set you alive. And I ask myself, why is it that the church at large has forgotten to pray? If we ain't like we prayed as a church, we'd be on an intravenous trip. We ran like we prayed, we'd be in a wheelchair. If we dressed like we prayed, we'd be naked. It's like call a prayer meeting and you're lucky to get two or three people. I'm too busy too busy to pray for the lost. What's that about? Do we believe that prayer works? Or is it like a pinch of salt we throw over our our shoulder as a superstitious act of a Christian nature? I'll I'll never forget once I was preaching um, at Ian Purse's church many, many years ago, guy over in the Heathmont area. And <clears throat> I preached and he wanted me to make a call for people to respond to Jesus. 
and a few people responded and a person over here uh, stood up. It was a um, an older man, a man in his 40s, 50s, and uh, then a young lady responded over here and a couple of others responded and they said to me, look, can you have a talk to the older guy? So I sat down with him and started talking to him about what had happened in terms of you coming to Jesus. And um, the young lady who responded, she came over and sat down with me. And then I was joined by the wife of the man and this little seven-year-old girl. And I thought, this is unusual. <laughs> and so I started to talk to them about what it means um, to have a relationship with Jesus. I talked about prayer. And as I started to talk about prayer, they said, ah, oh, don't talk to us about prayer. I said, why? And they pointed down to their little seven-year-old girl. And they said, every night she goes to bed, she prays for 15 minutes. <laughs> and we dare not interrupt her because if we interrupt her, she goes back to the start and starts again. And I smiled. And then they said to me, she's been praying that we'd come to church all this time. And here we are. Prayer works. It's a challenge for us as a church to be in prayer that God would stir our hearts. He bends his ear down and listens and listens and waits for the cry of his children to call out for those people who have a one-way ticket to hell. It's a challenge. So one, we need a mindset that says we're all in this. Two, we need a heart set that says give us your heart, Jesus. Three, we need a passion to work for him, to do it. And four, we need a passion to pray. Here's your homework. The teacher and me, sorry about this. I challenge you this. Over the next week, to pray that God would give you opportunities to live for him. It may not be to talk but to live for him in the context of non-Christian. That means I'm going to make contact with the lost. I'm not going to just receive into my Christian bubble. And then to pray, after you've prayed that you would do that, is to actually go out and do it. That's my prayer for you. When you do that, let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that as you look down on each and every heart at this moment, uh, including my own, Lord, that you would, one, help us to realise the mindset that we're all in this. And, Lord, that you would, secondly, give us a heart, give us a glimpse of your heart for the lost. And then thirdly, Lord, we pray 
that you'd help us to do it when you prompt us. And then make us men and women of prayer. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks so much for having me. I've appreciated it. God bless you.